Okay, I think we will get started. Um, my name's Margaret Glasgow, and I, along with uh, Jessica Murray, are taking over as ESC seminar chairs. Uh, thank you to Max and Curtis for the wonderful job you guys have done. Um, yeah. All right, thank you all for attending the Earthquake Science Center weekly seminar series. If you're new, welcome. If you'd like to be added to our email distribution group, please send us an email. Seminars are recorded and most of the talks are posted on the Earthquake Science Center webpage. Closed captioning can be turned on by clicking on the CC icon uh, at the More tab, and then that's also at the top of the page. Uh, attendees, please mute your mics and turn off your cameras until the Q&A session at the end of the talk. Um, and submit your questions via the chat at any time or wait to turn on your camera and ask your questions during the Q&A session. Um, and next week, I just want to announce that the talk will be in person and it will be Peter Shearer. All right, so then a few announcements specifically for today. I'm going <laughs> to tell you guys about three other um, meetings or talks that are happening today. So uh, everyone's invited to the Winter Earthquake Country Alliance workshop, which is today. Uh, see your team's calendar or uh, email for the link. Also today at noon is the USGS Alaska Science Center seminar. Um, they're presenting a talk called uh, Tsunamis of the 1964 Great Alaska Earthquake, and that's by Dr. Suleimani. And uh, the 60th anniversary of the Great 1964 Great Alaska Earthquake is on March 27th. Uh, please see your email for more details about that seminar that's happening today. And then one more webinar for today is at 5 p.m., and it's um, from Timbler Incorporated. And the title of that talk is Advancing Our Understanding of the Severe Seismic Threat in the Philippines. And that talk will be given by Dr. Mario Aurelio. And once again, that's today at 5 p.m. And I'll share the link in the chat with more information and to register. And with that, I will pass it over to Max, who's going to introduce uh, Tonio, who's our speaker today. Thank you, Margaret. So it is a great delight to uh, introduce my colleague and friend, Jose Tonio Bayona. Uh, Tonio is a Leverhulme Early Career Fellow at the University of Bristol in the United Kingdom. Uh, he works in uh, statistical seismology with applications <clears throat> in earthquake forecasting and seismic hazard analysis. So Tonio started his academic career at the National Autonomous University of Mexico, where he completed his bachelor's and master's. And then he went on to the German Research Center for Geosciences in Potsdam, Germany, which is for his PhD. Um, and that's where we intersected, actually in two different research groups. But uh, uh, he was always coming as I was leaving or vice versa. So we actually got to know each other and each other's work at conferences um, and meetings. So Tonio has inspired me not just with his research findings and his careful and precise methods and applications thereof, but with his passion and depth in tackling hard problems in earthquake forecasting and communicating his science to uh, broad and public audiences. So thank you, Tonio, for presenting today's seminar, and the floor is yours. Thank and you, Max. Um, put on your video if you haven't yet. Uh, you can't see me. Ah, now we can. We can see. Lovely. No, thank you, Max uh, and Margaret, for the for the kind invitation um, to present my research today. It's really, really a, a great honor to be uh, 
here now. Um, I'd like to also thank and uh, to everyone who is um, attending the seminar today. Thank you for your time. Good morning, everyone. Um, and also a big thanks to like all the group uh, of the all the members of the collaboratory for the study of earthquake predictability CISA, because really without all the great work they've been doing over the last 20 years, I, would, I wouldn't be able to to present this talk today. So let's let's kick in. Um, for those of you who may not uh, know or, or have heard of CSEP, please let me uh, introduce ourselves. Uh, we are a uh, an international and open group of researchers, um, and our mission is to accelerate earthquake uh, predictability research by um, rigorously evaluating um, earthquake forecasting models and uh, prediction algorithm algorithms against like out of sample uh, future earthquakes. Um, the formed the, the formed the group was uh, initially formed nearly 20 years ago, and it actually emerged emerged uh, from the from the need um, to to put you know like to place the the field of earthquake uh, forecasting onto more robust methodolo methodolo methodological methodological um, footing, um, and yeah, this was this was pretty much uh, given by the kind of negative sentiment around um, earthquake predictability efforts, um, especially back back in the days. So, um, yeah, the main pillar of uh, of our approach, of CSEP's approach, is the prospective evaluation of earthquake forecasting models in fully reproducible and transparent uh, earthquake forecasting experiments. And I think this, these experiments are actually uh, quite unique because the the earth itself itself serves as a natural laboratory and earthquakes are the object of study so for these experiments like uh, modelers submit their models they provide like either probabilities or um, rates number of earthquakes that we're expecting in a per, in a certain um, uh, unit time uh, in the specific uh, regions of the world um, and they submit this, these models to CSEP and we use some statistical methods and prospective data to evaluate what's the consistency between these models and the, the observed data. It is uh, really important to mention that before uh, conducting any CSEP experiment, uh, the, the CSEP community provides like very specific um, definitions, let's say, of uh, the testing region. So, for example, um, in more than 20 years, we have uh, been conducted um, conducting experiments in in California, in New Zealand, in Italy, like around the world. So, it's really important to to define where these experiments gonna, is going to take place. Also, it's important to define what's going to be the the evaluation period. Like, uh, for example, if it's going to be a short term uh, evaluation, like it's important to define like if the model was going was is going to forecast like earthquakes tomorrow in a week time or a month in a month time for example or if it's a longer term like to specify like this experiment is going to involve time invariant seismicity models and, and we're going to evaluate seismicity in one year five years ten years etc 
it's also important to define what's the what's going to be the magnitude range. So normally for short term or like for aftershock forecasting, we use uh, magnitude thresholds of four and above. Well, and for long term um, of and for the evaluation of long term uh, models, we normally use uh, magnitudes uh, like we're normally forecast like earthquakes with magnitude five or or above. It's also important to to define in advance what are going to be the earthquake, uh, the target earthquakes that these models are going to be contrasted against. And in particular, it's important to define what's going to be the authoritative earthquake catalog that we're going to use. And for example, what's going to be the depth range that these models are going to be uh, defined uh, within. So lastly, it's, it's uh, important to mention that we're that at CSEP we have like two different families of testing methods or like statistical metrics. Uh, the first family is designed to evaluate what's the consistency between these models and the observed data. And the second family is designed to compare, you know, like uh, which of which of two uh, competing models render the most uh, informative um, uh, forecast. So yeah, based based on, on on this like and starting in in, in starting since uh, 2007 like CSEP has been um, hosting in like all of the testing centers that are distributed throughout the world more than 400 uh, seismicity models and after 15 years nearly 20 years of uh, prospective evaluations we have been um, detecting you know identifying which of these are the most uh, the most informative so in this talk i'm gonna focus on one experiment that was um, designed for california so this uh, this experiment uh, comprises time varying uh, seismicity models so in particular um, models that forecast um, seismicity at a magnitude threshold of four on a daily basis. So in my opinion, this is actually one of the major uh, contributions, um, international contributions that the CSEP community has achieved or done because like, yeah, but back in 2007, like a group of scientists and institutions uh, came together to work and uh, came up with this uh, unprecedented data set of 27 uh, daily seismicity models that uh, between 2007 and 2018 uh, together generated more than uh, uh, 50,000 uh, daily seismicity forecasts. So I don't think there's another place in the world where we have such amount of, of data to, to play with. Also during this evaluation, during this time, um, we have observed um, nearly 600 earthquakes with magnitude 4 and above in California, and this provides us with a unique opportunity to uh, comprehensively evaluate uh, our current abil uh, ability to forecast um, aftershock activity, and also like we can uh, inform and support operational earthquake forecasting uh, systems because uh, some of these models are actually candidate models for some uh, countries and already are already implemented in other countries to inform um, like operational earthquake forecasting, which is, you know, like the dissemination and the, the gathering and the dissemination of uh, authoritative information about 
time varying uh, earth, uh, seismic hazards, which can ultimately be communicated to decision makers and uh, can in turn, which can, who can in turn, like, put their um, mitigation plans uh, in place. So this is, this is, this could be useful. So let's uh, let's take a look at the at the predictive pool of models that we have. So in on this slide, I'm showing like uh, forecasts like on a specific dates. Uh, sorry, on a, sp a specific days that uh, on which these models like were uh, producing uh, this uh, this this forecast. And it's important to mention that like these models are grid based. So like in each cell, in each spatial cell, like the models are expect are computing or are, uh, are providing like the number of earthquakes uh, at a magnitude four in this case and above that we expect on that day uh, given the model. So regions, for example, where we have like more uh, yellow colors, like the node regions where the the activity rate is comparatively higher compared to um, is higher compared to those regions uh, colored by blue or uh, purple colors. So I'm not going to go that much into detail, but I'm going to briefly describe like some like some of the of of, of the core hypothesis about these uh, these models. Um, the first one is um, so there's a, 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 among these uh, these models, we have uh, like various uh, versions of the widely known uh, epidemic type aftershock um, sequence model, ETAS. And for those of you who may have not heard about this model, this is um, like a well-established model that describes uh, seismicity basically in uh, given by the by the composition of two terms. Like one term is the background seismicity. Which is assumed to be uh, to occur uh, uniformly over time, and the other component is uh, the, the triggered seismicity, which in turn, like in in most models, is uh, confirmed or like uh, is uh, it uses like three uh, components. Like the first one of them is the aftershock productivity component, um, which is commonly assumed to be dependent on the magnitude of what I'm going to be calling the parent earthquake. I'm not going to say main shock, but you know what I mean? Um, the second component uh, is like how the aftershock rate decreases as a function of time, which mainly depends on the time elapsed between now and when the parent uh, event occurred. And uh, another term like Describes like how this, uh, how what's the spatial uh, distribution of these aftershocks, which is uh, pretty much uh, parameterized by uh, by kernel functions. So, for example, if you take a look at these two versions of ETAS, like you can see that this model is uh, comparatively more smoothed uh, than this other model here, which denotes that it's using different um, bandwidths to smooth seismicity. Another interesting um, couple of, of, of models that should be worth that is worth mentioning are these two. Like these two models use um, adaptive uh, kernels, um, and these two more other models, for example, like use like data. Like uh, they are all based on on seismicity, but this model here like uses a catalog, 
that is um, incorporating date like earthquakes at a magnitude threshold of two, whereas this other one uses uh, earthquakes at a magnitude threshold of three. So this is also a, a wise um, idea because if if there are differences in the performance of the models, like pretty much is going to be related to the incorporation of of, of small earthquakes um, into the into the formulation of these models. Then another uh, famous model, well-established model that has actually that is currently being used uh, to inform operational earthquake forecasting um, is one of the components of operational earthquake forecasting in Italy and New Zealand is the short-term uh, earthquake uh, probability a step model um, like ETAS and STEP like share the same course let's say but like while ETAS can be seen as a let's say as a as a single self-exciting uh, point process model like the the, the step model can be seen as a combination of different uh, models into one. Um, so in this case, for example, like the, the main differences between step and step Java is that step Java in this case is uh, not defined in the northern portion of California, also in north in the very uh, southern portion of California and is also not defined here in the in the Mendocino region, um, and it was yeah issued uh, sometime later than than step. So moving on, uh, there are another uh, models that depend on um, fewer parameters than the ETAS and the step models. These models are um, referred to as non-parametric models, and basically they use kernels to a smooth seismicity in magnitude, time, and space. Um, we also have like combinations of, of different models, additive and multiplicative combinations. Uh, for example, this is a model that uses, uh, that combines uh, the step model with, um, with ETAS uh, in, for, for California. Um, and yeah, overall it's important to uh, highlight again that all these models are based on, are pure are, are statistical models that depend purely on past seismicity. These models do not use uh, any other geophysical data set, say interseismic strain rates, uh, fault catalog data, um, kinematic information. No, they just use um, seismicity. Also, it's very important to mention that for this experiment, uh, we're going to be using uh, this, this model, which I'm going to be referring to as the HKJ uh, seismicity model. This is a time uh, invariant model that means that the earthquake rate per day is going to be the same today the same tomorrow the same 10, ten years later is not going to change um, this model uh, uses also small earthquakes like uh, earthquakes at a magnitude threshold of two uh, and also uses uh, an adaptive uh, smoothing kernel we selected this model because in other um, CSEP experiments in California, we have identified that this is a very competitive time uh, invariant model for, for the region. So we wanted to, um, you know, quantify like how this model performs uh, performs with respect to, to the time varying uh, seismicity models of our data set. So once we have the, the models, now we need uh, the data. So it's very important to say that, yeah, like these models were calibrated using data up to certain point in time. Um, 
and then a forecast is issued for the first day. So let's suppose that we have uh, one earthquake occurring during during that day. Um, well, actually, the, the model, the forecast is issued at midnight and then uh, another forecast is issued at midnight the day after. But if along the day we have an earthquake, for example, like that earthquake is going to inform the the model to construct uh, a, a seismicity forecast for the day after and so on. Um, so in this sense, like the, the evaluation is co completely uh, independent, completely prospective. Um, and yeah, like I mentioned, we have uh, nearly 600 um, events in California uh, in that uh, 10 uh, year of uh, prospective uh, period. And I'm going to mention like four uh, great examples of like how these models, like to what these models were exposed. The first one is uh, the widely known uh, El Mayor Cucapá uh, earthquake that occurred in Southern California in 2010, had a magnitude 7.2. It was a very uh, productive productive earthquake in terms in, in terms of aftershocks. Um, these other three earthquakes uh, were not super productive. I'm going to get to that point later on, but they had uh, like they are more, like relatively large earthquakes. This uh, Mendocino area, I don't know if this is the correct term uh, for this earthquake uh, that had a magnitude 6.8 that occurred um, in the Mendocino region in 2014. The Ferndale uh, magnitude 6.5 earthquake that struck uh, Northern California in 2010 and this um, South Napa earthquake with a magnitude of 6.6, .6, which I'm going to also be talking more in detail later on. Another um, Interesting case is this one, the Broly uh, earthquake swarm that occurred in Southern California in 2012. Um, the swarm produced um, nine earthquakes larger than four uh, and three earthquakes larger than five, uh, all of them in one day. So it's uh, it's an interesting case because the, these models like were um, designed, you know, like to forecast uh, tectonic seismicity, not necessarily induced seismicity as it was this this case so it's going to be um interesting to to analyze also on panel b i'm showing like the distribution in time of the occurrence of these uh, earthquakes just uh, uh just a comment probably you're not going to share it but like i kind of observed that like many of the earthquakes that occurred like really early in the evaluation period occurred in Southern California, whereas um, some of the earthquakes that occurred towards the end of the evaluation period occurred in Northern California. So this is just uh, an interesting uh, observation that I wanted to, to highlight. Right, so um, I'm going to present results uh, for the number component of the models. Um, and I'm going to walk you through each of these results. So I'm um, uh, here. I'm showing like the 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 time series of the earthquakes. Um, well, yeah, like the distribution of magnitudes of these earthquakes as a function of time. Sorry, and um, here I'm showing like the results. Uh, how many earthquakes we are observing uh, during the evaluation period? The cumulative number of earthquakes again at a magnitude threshold of four is uh, shown here with this um, black curve. 
uh, and the number of, uh, of earthquakes predicted by the models are shown in colors. So let's take a look, for example, at the HKJ, the time invariant uh, seismicity model, which is pretty much an average of the seismicity we're expecting on the long term. And we see that very early in the sequence, like the model is um, uh, overestimating a little bit the seismicity uh, count. Then the uh, El Mayor earthquake, El Mayor Cucapa earthquake uh, happened. Then the observed seismicity increased. Then the model started to underestimate the, the, the number of earthquakes. At some point, um, that's not uh, longer the case. And then the model starts to um, overestimating the number of earthquakes uh, until the end of the, of the evaluation uh, period. So this is observed here. So this is the number of earthquakes that, that we have uh, cumulatively um, over 10 years. And this is the 95 uh, predictive range of the model uh, given by the model. So the, the model is expecting some uh, some amount of earth, some number of earthquakes that do not fall within this um, um, uh, predictive range. Another interesting case, for example, is the case for ETAS, which was also uh, issued like starting the evaluation period. Uh, which is shown here in this uh, as in in orange, like in the in the very beginning of the sequence, like the model and the observations are quite uh, comparable. Then again, uh, El Mayor Cucapa earthquake happened. The observed rate was slightly larger than what the model was expecting. Um, then again, the observations and the and the predictions are pretty much the same and at some point like either the seismicity decreases or uh, and the 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 expected rate in, uh, increases so that at the end we are like the the model is um overestimating the number of earthquakes but this overestimation is not crazy like crazy you know like and also like if we if we take a look like on the on the big picture like with the ex exception of these two models that I actually think there were some issues with the implementation uh, of of the forecast, like uh, computationally speaking, I think these these two are good models. But yeah, with the exception of these two models, like in in average, the like the the, the cumulative number of earthquakes that these models are providing is not not substantially too different to what we are observing, and this is particularly interesting and particularly surprising because most of these more like the parameters of most of these models were not updated throughout the entire uh, evaluation period so like these models are run in a were run in an automatic fashion and if we leave the models running for 10 years like they are computing uh, earthquake rates that are not that are nearly consistent with the observation so that's actually a really cool uh, result and um, yeah if we uh, take a look at a more um, a specific case, uh, uh, in more specific case scenarios, the picture is a bit different, of course. So um, I wanted to show, uh, and I want also to analyze, like what was the performance of these models uh, during six specific uh, earthquake scenarios, the five uh, earthquakes that I described before, and an extra one, which I'm going to be referring to as to background seismicity. 
Um, and this is what we obtained. So let me walk you through these results. So first of all, it's, it's, it's important to mention that these models were not designed to predict earthquakes. So they provide, yeah, a background uh, seismicity rate, which is uh, actually captured. Um, so like the, the number of earthquakes uh, are captured by the, um, the number of earthquakes during background seismicity periods, let's say, are, uh, are successfully captured by the models. So I'm shading, like I'm showing as gray, gray shades, the 95 uh, confidence intervals of these models, the grayer the color, the more models are overlapped. So that means, for example, in this case, that uh, like all of the models that were uh, available during this uh, uh, background seismicity period, like agree that the background seismicity, like on a daily basis, we are like, these models are expecting between zero and one earthquake at a magnitude four, which is pretty much the case. So that's that's okay. We are covered with that. So moving on to like more complicated case scenarios, like we can take a look at the Broly um, swarm. As I mentioned, the the sequence lasted just one day. It produced uh, nine earthquakes with magnitude four and above. Um, and of course, like the models were not ready we're not we're not expecting the occurrence of these events but then um the, they they react to it and then the day after for example this model was expecting between um uh, five and zero earthquakes and actually we observed one so the the aftershock productivity is lies you know uh, within the uncertainty uh, ranges of these models and this is actually a very cool, a very cool and, and important result. So if we move to um, tectonic activity, I can uh, mention these three uh, earthquakes. Again, these are earthquakes that occurred um, in, in, in Northern California. And as you may have already like thought about them, about them, uh, like these models were not as productive in terms of aftershock uh activity as the models were expecting for example uh the let's say the the, the mendocino uh, earthquake with the that had a magnitude 6.8 um produced on the day after like really no aftershocks larger than four um but the models for example uh, this one here was like all the like on app like yeah all together the models were expecting between eight and uh, zero, between zero and earth, eight earthquakes, and yeah, just like not nothing happened. Uh, a few days later, there were a few other earthquakes uh, and so on, but like these earthquakes were are within the the confidence ranges. A more interesting um, example is the the case of the South Napa earthquake that had a magnitude six point zero. Um, it was just one earthquake. Uh, like it was a sorry, it was a, a a relatively large earthquake, and it produced lots of really small uh, aftershocks. But none of these aftershocks had a magnitude uh, larger than four, and the models were expecting like on the day after between zero and uh, four 
I can't see really well from here. Um, earthquakes and, you know, like this sequence was less productive than what the models were expecting. The contrary case is the case of the El Mayor Cucapa earthquake, which was a, a, an earthquake that was way like significantly more productive than what the, the models expected. For example, during the during the day of the of the of the main shock of the parent event, um, 18 earthquakes were observed that day. Again, the, the models were not prepared for that. But for the day after, they were like, OK, we're going to expect we all are going to spec between uh, zero and I don't know, 26 earthquakes, and actually we observed 30. On the day two of the sequence, the models were expecting between zero and probably 12 earthquakes, and actually 14 earthquakes uh, occurred. And then on the third day, like yeah, the the earth, the the number of, of aftershocks were included within the the um the confidence intervals so that's that's really that's really interesting and um yeah that denotes that in some cases you know like the the productivity is quite high in other cases it's not quite uh, it's actually very low so what can we, what can we do about it but that's something i'm gonna le uh, let for the leave for the discussions for the discussion so moving on to the um, cumulative spatial test results. So I'm showing um, like on the on the x-axis uh, observed quantile scores, and on the x-axis I'm showing uh, uniform quantile scores. Scores. So basically, uh, one quantile is uh, like where the observed. Um, it, so 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 basically. Each quantile is telling me where, like how 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 good the model, um, how good the data. What's no? What's the consistency of the data under the model? So in order to to construct like a like a, a test distribution, we use simulations that are consistent with the data. So we would expect that, given that this is the case. If there were uh, discrepancies between the observations and the data, like the pink curves would not line, uh, sorry, lie uh, on the um, diagonal dashed uh, green line. In other words, like if there is consistency between the models and the observations, we would observe like the uh, pink uh, lines, like aligned with the diagonal line. And if we observe um, discrepancies, um, we, ob we observe inconsistencies. So in particular, uh, if the pink line, for example, in this case, lies above the diagonal line, that means that the model is actually, um, that could mean that the model is actually uh, like too specific about where the earthquakes are could occur. Like, I'm confident that it's going to that is the the earthquakes are fairly likely to occur like within these few specific cells like and outside not really so that's what i mean with a specificity whereas uh, if the if the uh, curve if the pink uh, curve lies like beneath the diagonal line it means that the model is actually uh, or could mean that the model is actually uh, over smoothed with respect to the observed distribution of earthquakes 
So I'm going to take these two examples uh, on for the next slide. But I'd like to I like to to take a look uh, at the at the results and see that actually we you observe lots of um, pink diagonal lines or curves, denoting that the models are actually also uh, like relatively good. Like most of the models are relatively good to or relatively not good. Sorry, relatively consistent um, to forecast like with the data. They are prepared to um, forecast where these earthquakes could occur. And that actually gives us insight that maybe the, the parameters, the spatial parameters that they are based on are uh, relatively um, stable over a period of 10 years, which is also really, really promising and surprising. So I'm also going to take a look uh, at how the models performed on a, on a more daily basis. I'm going to uh, analyze like the case of the like how the models performed during the day of the El Mayor Cucapa earthquake and back in the day there were only four uh, seismicity models available. So this is a this is an interesting case because um this so this was among the among the cases we are analyzing, this was the only earthquake for which uh, force shocks were reported. Um, so there were actually a couple of um, of force shocks, uh, like one occurring weeks before the uh, the El Mayor, the occurrence of the El Mayor Cucapa earthquake, and another one occurring the day before uh, the 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 the, the earthquake, the parent event. So in a way, these models um, are incorporating like that information into the forecast for this day. And um, we can see from here, for example, that ETAS like is actually so smooth, like around the region where all the aftershocks of the El Mayor Cucapa earthquake occurred, denoting again like this uh, this this performance is is due to the to the use of of such a, a, a big uh, smoothing kernel, whereas these models are more specific. And the trade-off is here that they don't uh, fully uh, like forecast where these earthquakes could occur. Um, it might seem, for example, that in this case, like yeah, it's the we have we observe here like yellow colors and stuff, but like we also observe lots of orange around, and this is a logarithmic scale. So it means that the more like the 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 rate or the probabilities of observing activity here is um, significantly uh, fewer than what uh, than the probabilities of observing the earthquakes here. So that's why the 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 model is not uh, passing um, is not performing spatially uh, super well in this case. Um, also, I want to show like what happened the day after. Uh, the occurrence of the El, uh, El Mayor Cucapa earthquake. You see how these models uh, react to the occurrence of these events. And again, for the case of ETAS, like the whole region is like this is, is it's very likely that we're going to observe uh, aftershock somewhere uh, in this uh, region, um, which happens to be the case. Whereas, for example, for STEP, like you can see that the 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 bandwidth here is a bit uh, shorter compared to this one and uh, the earthquakes most of the earthquakes occurred here but also a few others uh, occurred um at the at the tips 
of of this circle and they were not uh, the model was not super uh, prepared to expect some of these earthquakes there but overall like if you take a look um so in re like in dots like in in squares or in better said like blue squares like dark blue squares the notes the note the the models that are not performing super well like actually not are not performing well during that day spatially speaking but we also observe like few oranges few purple colors denoting that the models were not so bad like of course they were not prepared for um experiencing these specific uh earthquakes or, or like these specific locations but they were somehow um expecting earthquakes within those regions. Of course, these models are not perfect, but I would say that they are not doing that much of a bad job. Also, I'm comparing like uh, how this like I'm actually comparing the, the 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 forecasting skills, the forecasting abilities of these models uh, against or like with that of the HKJ uh, seismicity time invariant model, which is uh, shown in blue. Um, and I'm showing three, uh, six panels because if you remember, like the the models were like issued in different times uh, throughout the evaluation period. So every time that a new model uh, comes in, we need to start uh, like the the, the cumulative uh, uh, information gain from there. And just briefly, like I'm basically showing here, like we have like. The, the distribution of the space magnitude, uh, the space magnitude distribution of the observed data, and I'm comparing the space magnitude distribution of the models, and I collapse this information into, into a joint uh, probability score, and I'm subtracting like the, the joint uh, probability score obtained by uh, the reference model, the benchmark model, uh, to the probability joint score, um, the joint probability score obtained by each of the of the competing models. So if, if the difference is positive, it means that the, the competing model is better, is more informative, not better, more informative, and uh, vice versa. So we see, for example, here that uh, very early in the evaluation uh, uh, period, like step is the one which is performing better compared to these uh, other two. This is actually, to me, surprising that at the end of this uh, uh, evaluation period, like ETAS was performing equally equal to the time invariant model. That was that was surprising. Uh, another uh, good case to to analyze is this one where the uh, El Mayor Cucapa earthquake occurred. Uh, in this case, another model was already available back then, and we see, you know, like this is the the uh, temporal evolution of the information gain. Uh, El, El Mayor Cucapa uh, kicks in or happens, and then both uh, Step and uh, Etas uh, are the best performing models during this uh, during this time. Another interesting um, uh, case is this one. Uh, because this is this is the the time in which most of the models um, in our predictive pool are available, and this gives us uh, three years of uh, pros of prospective data. So this is this is quite valuable. 
So we see, for example, uh, like first of all, one interesting feature is that uh, like older models, uh, for example, uh, ETAS or ETAS version 1.1 or the um, couple of Kagan and Jackson uh, one day uh, seismicity models for California, like all the like the older models are here, whereas the newer models are up here, like they obtain higher information scores. So that that is actually promising. That means that new models like display better performance with time, um, at least for this evaluation period. And that, this is also, that observation is also valid for the very last bit of the evaluation period, which is this one, two more years of prospective data. And again, we see the newer models like performing better than the older models down here. Also, an interesting um, observation is that uh, like when comparing couples of the same models, but uh, but models that use like different um, calibration data sets, one using like earthquakes at a, at a magnitude threshold of two and the other one using earthquakes at a magnitude threshold of three, we see that models that use like more small earthquakes are, is, are performing um, slightly better than the models that use like less small earthquakes. So in a way that could mean that small earthquakes are useful for forecasting like where larger earthquakes could occur. And there is actually cumulative evidence also like based on prospective evaluations that this might be this might be the case. So this is this is interesting. Well, what have we learned from from the earthquakes. Well, personally, I have learned that this is all very, very complicated. This is really uh, complex, like tectonically speaking. This is also a very um, complex problem. Uh, we see, for example, that in the case of El Mayor Cucapa earthquake, uh, this was uh, a model that was a model, uh, <laughs> a, a, an earthquake that was way more productive than than what the uh, the models were expecting. Um, the you know the, the 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 spatial distribution of of the aftershocks were super uh, asymmetrical. Like the largest aftershock was uh, located to towards the northern portion of the rupture, whereas but also many small earthquakes were uh, nucleated there, but also moderate sized aftershocks nucleated in the south. So it was a very very complex rupture involving uh, normal uh, folds like strikes leap faults, etc. Um, so this is a, a very valuable uh, lesson of what type of earthquakes are actually occurring um, in, in, in Southern California and how these models react to, to them. Other two uh, interesting cases is like in terms also of, of productivity, like these models, these, uh, these earthquakes again in, 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 the, in the Mendocino region, like they were on the contrary, like very, very uh, unproductive compared to what the, the models were expecting. So we observed like two types of, of patterns uh, that are confined within the same uh, evaluation period. So this is uh, important to be taken into account by, by future models. Um, another uh, great lesson is like, uh, these models, uh, even though they are not, um, uh, let's say, designed 
to to forecast induced seismicity like these uh, earthquakes were induced by slow slip in a uh, due to fluid fluid injection in a geothermal field geothermal field like again like the models were not prepared to expect eight earthquakes nine earthquakes that with that magnitude in those locations but they were able to react and say like okay uh, we're going to expect this amount of earthquakes in the in the in the following days and even though the productivity was quite low like these models were uh, were capturing you know that uh, that earthquake count within their um uh, uh confidence interval so that's uh, also a very valuable lesson and lastly um this is a, a very uh nice example of like a moderate-sized uh, earthquake that was really, really unproductive, or uh, that it, that, I that it was actually unproductive according to the models. This earthquake actually uh, like triggered like discussions in about like why is it that uh, we observe such variability in aftershock productivity in in California? Uh, Andrea Genos and Andy Michael like. Uh, observed that over the, the the past years like in average like uh sequences in in southern california tend to be a bit more productive than sequences in in, in northern california then uh they calibrated a more uh sequence specific ETAS model for this and they realized that well probably like it's is like the model is, is performing better like when we use like specific um, parameters for this sequence. So this is not so atypical from this uh, South uh, Napa region, which um, later on um, was also like confirmed by Gene Hardebeck and others. And they uh, proposed like using instead of one single uh, aftershock productivity parameter, like use more and update these parameters. Um, and they uh, proposed this uh, regionalization in which, yeah, in the south, like in the south of California, earthquakes uh, sequences tend to be like uh, like parent parent events tend to be more productive than parent events in Northern California. And then recently, uh, Daniel Truckman and um, Pensayan came up with this more complex pattern in which, like, they also incorporate. They also analyze uh, seismicity in 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 Nevada, and they found like, well, actually, we observe like more pro like on average more productive uh, earthquake sequences um, in in Nevada than in California. And I would say that in in total, like in in all all this, um, uh, to me, it means that these uh, aftershock productivity parameters um, could be um, like functions of other um, physics-based uh, assumptions. For example, the, the tectonic environment, like there are a few publications by um, Morgan Page, by the, uh, Kelly and Dasher, uh, in which like this productivity might depend on the tectonic environment, on the availability faults, um, on the depth, for example. And yeah, this is, um, this, to me, this seems to be the case, you know, like in, for example, in the case of Nevada, we have one continent like faults on a continental uh, plate, whereas in Southern California, we have the interaction of a continent of, of two plates. Uh, and in the Mendocino region, for example, there's an oceanic plate um, where properties 
should uh, differ from the but of course all these ideas and all these uh, um, are assumptions that should be formalized in in models and then be uh, prospectively evaluated uh, in the future uh, speaking of which like uh, as part of the of the commitments that we have uh, at CSEP uh, is like the transparency of uh, and reproducibility of, of our re of our results so that's why uh, we come up recent recently with the idea of accompanying our publications with uh, reproducibility packages and the idea is to you know like upload like our data, our forecasts, our catalogs uh, onto Cenodo, and then uh, provide code um, in on GitHub um, that is understandable and is relatively straightforward to to use. But anyone who is interested in like you know like uh, playing with this data or like checking if 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 what we are uh, uh, pre presenting is is reproducible. So this case, in this case, is going to be a, a little bit um, tricky because this data set is really, really uh, large. So we're going to come up with a good idea on where we could store all this information. But of course, if anyone is, is interested in, in, in taking a look at this uh, forecast in, you know, like support their research uh, with this, uh, you're going to be well welcome to to do so. And lastly, and as a, as a conclusion slide, uh, what have we learned about the, the, the models? Well, first of all, uh, I was personally very surprised to see that most of the models uh, provide cumulative earthquake uh, numbers that are uh, nearly consistent with the observations. And again, this is this is uh, particularly surprising because uh, like most of this, most of the parameters that inform these models were not um updated throughout the entire uh, evaluation period so that's actually quite promising so models running automatically provide earthquake rates that are not too uh too different you know too inconsistent with what we observe of course no model is perfect um there were some uh, inconsistencies in in specific uh, case scenarios but overall like the results to me are quite uh, surprising the same thing happens with the spatial component of the models. Uh, like most of these models provide uh, spatial forecasts that are almost consistent with the spatial distribution of observed earthquakes. Uh, and that's also surprising because again, these uh, spatial parameters were not updated throughout the, the, the evaluation period. So that suggests stability of, this, of these parameters over a period of 10 years. Um, also, it's, 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 it's uh, important to to, to mention, to, to repeat again, that different versions of and combinations of ETAs, um, such as these ones uh, mentioned here, obtain the highest information scores um, that could be useful um, to, uh, to use them now as, uh, as benchmarks to be, uh, you know, like to keep going in this, in this uh, research field. Um, also, one uh, observation is that within the within, within this pool of, of models like those that use uh, small earthquakes tend to be more informative or are more informative actually than the 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 partner that uses larger earthquakes so in a way that um suggests you know again that small earthquakes can be useful for 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 mapping for identifying where the the larger earthquakes can can happen can occur 
Um, and yet, lastly, we also observe that newer models display better performance uh, with time. This is going to be, uh, this is promising. I can only hope that we can uh, improve this work in the in the future with the incorporation of of new data, with the with the, di the diversification of data as well. If we can incorporate uh, more geophysical data sets, that would be really really cool. Um, if we can use like uh, machine learning based uh, earthquake catalogs, that's also going to be interesting to be explored in the future. And yeah. Having said this, I I really hope I genuinely hope that these uh, results can be uh, can help to advance operational earthquake forecasting in California and elsewhere. Um, so with that having said, I really like to thank you for your attention and I'm happy to take questions. Thank you so much, Tonya. Let's give a round of applause. That was a, a great talk, and it was really cool to see the um, comparisons between the different predictive models. Um, so with that, we'll take any questions. If you're online, uh, feel free to um, unmute or raise your hand, and we can uh, have you unmute yourself and ask the question. And if you're in person, just speak up because we are running the audio out of this computer. Um, so yeah, any questions? It looks like Andy Michael has a question. Um, yeah, I do. Can you hear um, me? Yeah. Hey, how's yes. it going? Um, yeah, I think one of the most interesting things here is the the question about updating parameters, um, because it's something that really was established, and, and we do because it was established, I think, by Paul Riesenberg and Lucy Jones in the original Riesenberg and Jones paper that they did a sort of a form, a simple form of Bayesian updating. Um, and it's something we sort of maintained and I think it's some ways improved on. But I don't see that in a lot of the international systems, if I remember correctly. Um, the ones that are operated in Italy, they've been using the same set of parameters for, for a decade or so. Obviously, the I think, you know, operationally, this, the test within CSEP, people were worried that if they were updating parameters, their model might just go awry at some point. Um, but then we, then we see a paper like simply tossed by Warner Mizaki recently um, and others um, suggesting that, you know, updating parameters isn't isn't necessary. So um, I guess the question, my question is, what do you think would be necessary to convince people that they need to update parameters in the actual operational systems? Do you think these tests can be convincing or do you think maybe the models are nearly consistent as close enough? I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Uh, thanks, Andy. Um, I think, I mean, the, my answer is going to be uh, really pragmatic, but I, I think that the the way to answer that is is to actually prospecting, uh, prospectively yeah. evaluating these <laughs> models. I think this is a this is a really um, good approach. Like, I think, yeah, more like by regionalizing uh, parameters, like you are offering two very powerful ways to compare, you know, which one renders the most informative models. But like the, the objective answer to that would be like, OK, let's come up with this model using generic and uh, um, regionalized models and, pros and prospectively, uh, prospectively evaluate them uh, in the future. But I think this is a, a really good way to, you know, like, try to improve models in the future, definitely. 
Yeah, I, by the way, great, great talk and really good summary. Maybe think, think, and I would say I've seen all this before, but you made me think about it again. I think, I think the other thing to point out is that, of course, PyCSAP, the new software package that you're now um, coordinating and leading, um, I think makes a lot of these things easier than would have been possible when these experiments were started. So I think we're in a in a good situation to uh, to do those things. So yeah, I'll, we're going to talk tomorrow too. So I look forward to that. Thank you. It looks like Morgan also has a question, which feel free to unmute yourself or I can read it. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, yeah, very nice talk. I was just wondering uh, why you think the newer models are have better performance. Do you think is they're more sophisticated, some have better models, better describing seismicity process? Or do you think it's something more like the seismicity rates are changing in time from decade to decade in California and they were just tuned more recently? So they're going to do better on more recent seismicity for that reason or something else. Um, I I need to double check, but I think it's because they're using more data. Um, and like increasingly new data like provides increasingly better uh, resolution, better locations, uh, better estimates. So if if you're if we're using more data like that might be the reason why these models are uh, exhibiting better performance. Um, but also like some of these models are uh, well that's another dimension. But some of these models are non-parametric uh, compared to like models that use more uh, parameters like that were issued like uh, very early in the evaluation period. Um, and if like if I remember well, like the 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 best like one of the best uh, one of the most informative models was a combination of a non-parametric component and a parametric uh, ETAS model. Um, so maybe that's another another reason why the models are are performing uh, better with time, um, because now we are like combining like the advantages of a few uh, models. Um, that could render better better uh, forecast, um, but I I can definitely like take a look at uh, like with more specific uh, evaluations and come up come back with a more specific answer to that. Well, that's really interesting. You kind of hinted at it, like maybe also the catalogs themselves are are different. Like the catalogs are improving. We have more stations than we did 15 years ago. Maybe the locations are tighter. So if you do the parameter fitting now you get tighter kernels i don't know <laughs> yep that yeah i mean uh like the very first models were uh calibrated with data up to, up to 2007 and then the the ones like the newer ones most most of them uh were created with data uh like they were they were issued uh in 2012 so in those five years like probably there was an improvement in the uh, availability of, of data um yeah and definitely. the magnitudes are also recalibrated in that time i was just remembering <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> thank you thank you that's very useful also for me thank you very much very, very interesting talk thank you thank you morgan um we're uh let's do one more question since we already have one from clara and then we'll end the sort of the formal part of the talk and if tonio is willing to stick around we could uh, answer some more questions uh, Clara, do you want to unmute yourself? 
Um, yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, a really cool talk. Thank you. Um, I was just wondering if, you know, as a result of doing all this testing, you're able to, you know, you're trying to find out what the best models are, but like on the other hand, were you able to like rule out any models as being like, these are so bad that like, these are obviously incorrect and we shouldn't like keep testing these going forward? Or do you think that there's still value in like just continuing to test these models at at least on one of your slides, it seemed to me it it did really badly compared to it performed badly compared to like the time invariant HKGJ model, like the KGSS. So I was just wondering about that. And then also you didn't say anything about like Ridgecrest in 2019 or more recent earthquakes. So I was just wondering if you're like planning to do testing on recent data or if um, Ridgecrest might like change model performance. So. Yeah, those are my two questions. Thanks, thanks, Clara, for the questions. Um, well, first of all, like, like apologies if I at some point used uh, like the uh, a vocabulary of good, bad, incorrect, correct. So we we provide diagnosis of how consistent these models are uh, against independent data. So on that premise. We yeah we can say that these two uh, Kagan and Jackson smooth seismicity models were the like the outlayers of all of the models, um, and I think like this like the the implementation in terms of how they were written like the code, it's providing weird rates uh, per cell, um, so there were some issues there. I personally think that these not these are not. Uh, like bad more well I, I don't, again i don't want to use that word okay they're not um, super like inconsistent but they the inconsistencies uh emerge from this uh computational issue um first of all and then um yeah i mean we would love to to like you know like to complete the um, uh like the, the availability of all these models uh up to now to also include uh Ridgecrest. Um my my career path is going to turn into a more into more modeling than uh testing at this point. But yeah, I mean as we are a community at CSEP and I and I really hope that we can somehow come back again and say like oh we already have this bunch of models and we have the code how what can we do so that we can keep uh, running uh, this uh, this forecast and complete the data up to up to now so um hopefully it's a yes in the future oh, okay so i guess um up updating the testing to like 2024 would just require somebody being available and able to do yes. it and then yes um, as far as kgss uh, model you said maybe there's a incorrect implementation so if you know, there's some bug fixing, maybe it might perform better. So, okay. Exactly. All right. Thanks yeah. so much. Thank you. And that's, yeah, that's a, a way we can like improve those specific models in, in particular. So, yeah. Thank you for your right. question. Thank you, Tonya. Let's do one more round of applause to thank our speaker. And that'll be the end of the, the formal meeting. So if you want to stick around, if Tonio has a few minutes to ask other questions, we can. Thank you, guys.
Tonio, great job. That was a really informative talk. Thank you, um, Max. Yeah, I, I want to just like bring up one kind of more philosophical question and curious your thoughts. That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, so first of all, were any of these models tested for three months or five years or any longer periods for California? Um, only the HKJ model like it that that's been around since